Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the return of season two of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt. I am a science enthusiast. And before we get into the season, I would just like to acknowledge that I am recording this on the lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people. And I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host, Kate. Mm, as ever, as always. Yeah. Uh, ever and yeah. always. Every, welcome back. Like it's been a long time. <laughs> It's been a sec. It's been a sec. Um, but I'm so excited. I'm I'm so keen to be back at it. Before we get into how excited we are, who are you? Who am I? Who oh, are yes, you? Spose, spose. For anyone well, who's joining us for the first time. I like long walks on the boot. No, so I'm Kate. Um, I'm a scientist, science communicator, um, the resident scientist of this show. And I would like to acknowledge that I am recording this episode from the lands of the Wurundjeri people. And yes... Boy, am I keen for this. Are oh, you keen? Wait, have you missed I, it? I have missed it, honestly. I'd forgotten. You missed that learning? I missed that learning. Missed that proper learning about some real mm. science. And you know what? You know that I have to be keen to do this because I am sweating so much now. After I've been <laughs> sitting here for a good minute or two after turning the fan off and ready to record. Hot damn, Perth is warm. Perth is toasty. <laughs> i got to say, getting back into it, I'm feeling a little bit of weird deja vu right with sort of not our very first episode but how we started the first season in terms of a lot of things seem to be as much as things have changed over the course of a year a lot of things seem to be the same right still got COVID going on it's still bloody hot I tell you what something that was interesting let me let me kick us off with an exciting little anecdote that I think is just a wonderful start to 2021 so over the course of Christmas and New Year's, I went over to see UK, oh, you which is lovely. That's right. To go to the eastern that states happened. from the western states. Um, but then before I came mm-hmm. back, some more COVID outbreaks happened in Victoria. So I had to go into isolation in WA for 14 days, which was fine and dandy and fun and all sorts. Got <laughs> to spend some time with the parents. But over the time while I was in isolation, there was another bushfire that happened real near my house and my housemates had to evacuate. Similar to around this time last year. I was talking to one of your housemates. A bushfire happened near my house where we had to evacuate, except this time I couldn't be there for the evacuation because I was in isolation because of COVID, which just seems like a wonderful stack of all sorts of 2020 events bleeding over into 2021. A nice little sticky glue to bind these years together. Oh, here but we the house go didn't burn again. down. I'm out of isolation. Two negative COVID tests later. Everything is right. Everything is in right. My world. We're back recording, teaching science, and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> exactly. Maybe. Maybe. So, <laughs> fuck. Perpetual motion machines. Perpetual motion machines. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that the instant I said that. I knew that. I was going to do that. Of course. <sighs> So, top, t- t- topic of today. Good. This is a brand brandastic start. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is what happens when we take time off and I'm like, oh, I'm going to refresh and I'm going to come back and I'm going to communicate better than ever. And then... Oh, come on. I mean, it's the same with you take a break from anything. You're in holiday mode and you're getting into work mode. I was talking about it with someone just a second yep, ago. Yep, like, yep. I had my first day back at work the other day after about a month off and I was so nervous because I was like, fuck, am I going to remember how to do anything, anything <laughs> with my job? And you know what? It's it's the exact same thing yeah. here, but and apparently the answer so far is no. I do not remember how to speak in a clear and concise way about science. You know what? It'll be a good way to help us 
power through this episode is a maybe a way we could create limitless power through maybe a perpetual motion machine. <laughs> perpetual motion machine. Okay, so for anyone who's like, I mean, it's pretty obvious from the name, right, what a perpetual motion machine is. But, you know, I thought I'd start off being a good scientist and I looked up the official definition. That's a good start. You know, from the, well, this is from the Encyclopedia Britannica, the official definition of Perpetual motion is the action of a device that, once set in motion, would continue in motion forever with no additional energy required to maintain it. So that, folks, is a perpetual motion machine. And they don't work. They're fake. I'm just going to straight up say they (laughs) are the fucking snake oil of the physics world. Like, they, you can can look up on YouTube, like, I'm going to talk, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about a bunch of different types of perpetual motion machines that have been historically like theorized but also ones that you can like look up on youtube people claiming oh look i made this perpetual motion machine ha 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 magic mm. physics uh like and it's it's just yeah fake with my like basic understanding of physics like i feel like i can grasp my head around why perpetual motion machines wouldn't mm. work is because like in most systems you have like some level of you know friction applying on a thing that slows it down like no matter how much speed you give it there's always going to be something slowing it down taking the energy away from it dispelling it out into the environment and thus you know causing the machine to stop working but where i start to get into the physics of stuff that i don't understand why i think some people might find some perpetual motion machines plausible because i could be like well what if i put it in a vacuum you know, mm-hmm. then there's no air friction slowing it down. What if we go out into space where there's no gravity pulling on it? What if we just use magnets so there's no parts rubbing against each other? What's the friction slowing stuff down mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't that work? What's sapping the energy away? So um, there's there's a couple of things, a couple of, they're called the laws of thermodynamics. They're a bit of a pain. Um I've heard of them, but mm, I couldn't tell mm, them to mm. you. So, like, thermodynamics essentially is the branch of physics that describes the relationship between different forms of energy, right? And so, you know, the first law of thermodynamics is essentially conservation of energy, right? That energy right. can't be created or destroyed. And the second it's law... It's just converted from one form to another. Yeah. Exactly. And the second law of thermodynamics that perpetual motion machines also, you know, tend to break and hence why they don't work is um, it's to do with entropy, which like if you haven't heard of entropy, I could, we do not have enough time in this episode for me to, you know, (laughs) completely explain that concept. But it's essentially the idea that things tend towards disorder or chaos. And so the, Mm. the second law of thermodynamics is that the entropy or the disorder, the chaos of the universe tends towards a maximum. So things will always get more chaotic. They won't get less chaotic. Like how if you put some headphones in your pocket, they'll always come out super tangled. Exactly. You'll never put some tangled headphones in your pocket and they'll come up neatly. Yeah. The easy way to conceptualize it. I remember in like, I don't know, undergrad, my, one of the professors I had gave a clear example of like, you know, think about your bedroom. There's sort of, you know, one or two ways for it to be tidy but there's like a million fucking ways that it can be a Mm. mess like you know one way for it to be tidy is for all your socks to be in your Mm. drawer five different ways for it to be untidy the socks could be on the bed they can be on the desk Mm. they can be under the bed they can be you know on the floor they can be hanging from the ceiling don't know why your socks are hanging from your ceiling but i said five and i had to come up with a fifth and the fact that we always have to be like 
cleaning our rooms and keeping an upkeep, I think is good enough evidence that entropy is something that's always happening. If like the universe didn't tend towards entropy and tend towards chaos and disorder, we wouldn't need to be putting in this regular upkeep to keep things tidy because they wouldn't be going towards that disorder. We wouldn't need to be countering that entropy constantly. Actually, I've got a really, I found a really funny quote that I'm just going to chuck in right now because it seems fitting about Mm -hmm. entropy. Well, not, sorry, not necessarily about entropy, but about the second law of thermodynamics relating to entropy, as I just explained. Mm -hmm. Um, Some scientists are just so, okay, so this is Sir Arthur Stanley Eddington. He made this quote in in 1927. I see. The law that entropy always increases holds, I think, the supreme position among the laws of nature. If someone points out that your pet theory of the universe is in disagreement with Maxwell's equations, then so much the worse for Maxwell's equations. If it is found to be contradicted by observation, well, these experimentalists do bungle things sometimes. (laughs) But if your theory is found to be against the second law of thermodynamics, I can give you no hope. There is nothing for it but to collapse in deepest humiliation. Oh my god, that guy's so extra. I love <laughs> oh, him. Oh, I know. He's like <laughs> that's so that that was his thoughts on people trying to make perpetual motion machines. Right. Um, but like you have to understand that you know, the laws of thermodynamics, like he he quoted that in what 1927, but mm-hmm. you know, the the first and second law of thermodynamics, which funnily enough, they came up with the second law first and then like so the second law was first kind of theorized. It wasn't called the second law, but it was first, you know, published and theorized in about 1824. Right. And then what became the first law got figured out in 1847. Okay. So, so you know, <laughs> where did that thermodynamics is a fucking mess. The whole like, you know, field of thermodynamics and like it's it's a really cool story actually. The whole history of it and like you know how they just because the thing is like, these inventions were coming first, right? And, and people were inventing engines and machines and and then the scientists were coming in and being like, okay, how the fuck can we explain what is going on? Like the, we don't the, understand what we energy were like is. progressing faster than science could actually explain yeah. what the fuck was going on. Exactly. Like, it what was, did you say? There was like the eighteen something or other. So that's like right around industrial revolution. So shit was yeah, booming, yeah. right? Exactly. Whereas, like, I'm going to go through a bunch of perpetual motion machines in a sec, and most of those, you know, that kind of craze was starting. It's like in the Middle Ages. You know, mm. the first one was kind of theorized in. 1150 and I'll get to that in a second but like that's the thing these these people initially coming up with these designs they didn't know about the laws of thermodynamics so they mm. could be kind of forgiven for fucking this up but then the thing is people are still doing it now and that's where you know Sir Arthur what's his face Arthur Stanley Eddington um was like mate stop even <laughs> to the point that I think it's the US and UK patent offices both um refuse to accept any, like, patents to do with perpetual motion machines now. They're just like, no, nah, stop. And apparently that eliminates, like, 50% of oh, you know, what the fuck? applications. <laughs> like, people are just trying. Because the uh, thing is, like, it's got this allure, right? The idea yeah. of getting something from nothing. The idea of, it's like, like you this, know. almost like the alchemy of physics, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Transmuting it's like, this, this lead into gold, creating mm, energy out of void. Out of nothing. Because, you know, I mean climate change number one big example if we could create a sustainable self Mm. you know perpetuating energy source brilliant like you know ideal um but 
you know, the laws of thermodynamics. So, like, a really funny way, I thought, like, to think of, you know, the laws of, of thermodynamics, or in particular, like, the first one, and, you know, why <laughs> why it doesn't work, is you can think of, like, the supreme rulers of the universe have essentially come in and they've been like, nothing is free. If you want any work done, you're going to have to, you know, trade something in of equal or greater value to get work. Like, mm. that's just the fundamental law. We don't really know why, just like we don't really know why a lot of fundamental things about the universe are. We just have proven that they are. Yes. And so, like, very progressive. Go go, supreme rulers of the universe, like, looking <laughs> out for your workers. Um, you formed a union. <laughs> could, uh... <laughs> there are some uh, governments around the world that could learn a thing or two from the universe. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Essentially, they d fund fundamentally, they don't work because you're going to lose energy somewhere. Yep. But you raised a good point before. Like, what if in space, right, mm. where there's, you know... Well, you said there's, there's no friction in space. So that's a, that's a really good point because a lot of where these ideas came from, traditionally people thought about, like, you know, the rotation of the Earth, rotation of celestial bodies. Yeah. Like, that seems perpetual, right? Yeah. But it's not. Um, okay. There are, the, you know, the spinning Earth, the spinning moon, all of these things are subject to processes and things in space that slowly dissipate their kinetic energy like friction because like that's all friction is right friction converts kinetic energy into thermal energy right yeah. by like you know you have two things rubbing together that's going to cause the molecules on those rubbing surfaces to move faster and we know particles moving faster equals heat yeah heat emitted energy or like sound as well like i'm rubbing my hands together and that's Makes sound. sound sound is energy yep. you know it's energy just keeps changing so like okay what about in outer space this was really cool i, I didn't know this but there's a thing called solar wind i've heard of that probably yeah, maybe because that's like <laughs> my oh okay what i've uh, mm -hmm. I've I've heard it used in two different contexts. But my first my okay. first thought went to like solar flares, right, and shit like that, mm -hmm. and general radiation that comes from the sun and hits Earth. But then I've yeah. also heard of it used in terms of like solar sails, which I can't remember if we've talked about on the show before. We've had like Benji on. Uh, mm, I, think, I think I'm so. not sure if we went into that. I but think yeah. so. But solar sails being the coolest fucking thing, where they just get a yeah. really big yeah, yeah, thin yeah. sheet or something, and then just like actual light bouncing off it is what propels it forward. So that being like solar wind in the solar sail. Um, well, I don't know which wind, you're referring to. Yeah, solar wind in this in this case is is coming from the sun, right? So it's like surrounding the sun. You know, you've got it's called the corona, which is this aura <laughs> of, of plasma. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Topical. Topical coronavirus. No, so it's... But yes, it's called the Corona lol. Because um, but it's, wasn't that like Spanish for halo, right? Crown. crown. Latin for yes. crown. But close. Spanish <laughs> for halo, Latin for crown. But like, I it retain is, knowledge it is the halo. from this show. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is like when, when there's like a, um, you know, during an eclipse, right, you see a halo around, like it extends millions of kilometers out from the sun. And it's just this aura of plasma. And so solar wind is essentially like a plasma stream that, that comes from this corona. It's a plasma stream containing like electrons and protons and a bunch of like ions and atomic nuclei and a bunch of stuff. And essentially like over the sun's lifetime, the interaction of like its surface, like the surface of the sun with the escaping solar wind decreases the rotation rate. Like it, it, there's friction there. Oh, 
Fuck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that's one thing that exists in outer space that slows down, um, you know, this seeming perpetual motion. Mm. Then there's something called interstellar medium, which is essentially all the matter and radiation that exists in space between like star systems in a galaxy, which, you know, they're like, you think of space as being a whole lot of empty like yeah. space, right? Funny but that. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's dust, there's cosmic rays, there's gas in a bunch of different forms. Like there's, mm. there's shit out there. It's just spread and, real, real thin. Yeah. But it's still there. But then like, those are the two kind of like, if you're talking about massively like out in outer space, yeah. but if we're talking about like the earth, right. And the rotation of the earth specifically mm. tides, if you think about it at first glance, you could be like, okay, so tides are potentially a form of like perpetual motion machine, right? Because the rotation of the earth is what generates energy in the in the form of tides because like the ocean is kind of like a a blob of you know water in the L- earth liquid and, yeah yeah liquid not necessarily water but yeah and you have like the moon and the sun and they're these these big massive bodies that have gravitational pull and that's mm. what causes like waves and tides and stuff yeah. right is is as the gravitational pull of like the moon for example pulls the water or pulls like the ocean kind of towards it and as the you know so it's kind of like like a compass right you can think of a compass always pointing north and no matter how much you spin the compass the needle will stay pointing north and so Mm. the thing kind of moves the earth is like the same but it's not magnets it's gravity the ocean is always going to want to point north towards the moon or the sun or whatever it's always going to want to point towards whatever the largest source of gravity is it's always going to be pulled in that direction it's going to stay still pointing towards that while the earth kind of rotates underneath it. Right. And that's what causes tides. And so, you know, we can harness tidal. I've never heard of it explained in that frame of reference before. That's really cool. Mm. I've always imagined as like the the earth being the still body and then the moon coming around and manipulating that, which I mean, I guess it's the kind of, you know, I mean, that happens as well. But like, it's cool hearing it from that frame of reference. Yeah. That's that's how my brain being the, 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 the static thing yeah. always lock tidally locked, locked to, to the, moon, the moon and then it's the earth that moves underneath mm. that that's a that's a cool way of thinking of it yeah that was yeah my brain was like oh light bulb moment like that makes sense mm. and that's why we can like harness tidal energy to you know power things but as we know good old supreme rulers of the universe came <laughs> in and they said yo you don't get work for free so you know is this tidal energy like is it for free no, like something's got to give, right? If energy is being released, then something is being lost somewhere in this whole process. So what's and being lost? It's it's friction, again. But friction, like, between the ocean and the earth, like on the seabed at mm. the shore. As the as the tide rises, the ocean goes, you know, up, you know, and down, and there's movement, and mm. even movement between air. Like, there's molecules in the air. There's still, there's friction there. Yeah. Like, in this tidal movement, there is friction. Damn and the earth's rotation atmosphere. is slowing. But, like, our, the Earth's rotation is slowing over mm. time because of this. Like, incredibly slowly. Like, I think it was... Hang on, I wrote it down. Give me a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in every 100,000 years, the year... So, like, the amount of time it takes the Earth to do one rotation is um, 1.7 seconds longer every 100,000 years. Well, fuck. All so, right. it would take 3.5 million years to get longer by a minute. Well, shit, there you go. So it's very, very slow. Like, you don't need to be freaking out about it. Mm. But 
It's still, yeah. So I've heard that the uh, the, the uh, Earth's rotation is speeding up a little bit as a result of climate change as well. With the polar ice caps mo- melting, more water and mass is then kind of leaking from the North and the South Poles and moving towards the equator or something like that, Ooh, bringing like the mass of the Earth inward or something like that, similar to like the figure skater pulling the arms in, spinning up mm, the, the speed mm, of the mm, Earth. Mm. So, you know, sorry, that's a bit of a tangent, but, you know, it's funny. We've got these no, cool no, no. counteracting things, you know, something's making the Earth's it, it rotation slowing down, so making it speed up. I didn't read anything that necessarily compared or like necessarily took that into account. So it would be mm. interesting to see whether... Maybe we do have, thanks to climate and, and, change, and look, we do have a thing. perpetual motion machine. I, oh, no. I, I do need to clarify any sort of like little factoids that I bring up like that. I have not fact-checked. I haven't done anything <laughs> like this. This is something I saw on a TikTok like a few weeks oh, ago. No. Or right, it, was a really? sci- it was a TikTok of a science communicator. And okay. I just okay, want to cool. make sure That's that fine. like I could be misquoting it. It could be the complete opposite where the Earth's rotation is actually slowing down as a result of it. So I just want to say... Take what I say with a grain of salt. I just want to put mm. that in there as a as a disclaimer. I don't fact check my shit. <laughs> no, that's fair. I, and I can't comment on that in particular because I didn't look into that. I was just looking into, you know, the perpetual motion and the the tides and the, you know, the fact that it's lost. Like we are losing energy and like the universe isn't going to last forever. Things that, mm. you know, it's not. But once again, back in the olden days, back in, you know, the... 12th century when people were first coming up with this mm. they didn't know any of this shit like yeah. so you know we forgive them so i'm going <laughs> to i'm going to drag us back into history to like where the first one was came up with right was came up with no <laughs> bad english that's oh, fine we dear. science we no need language flippity flop flop <laughs> we're going to go back to the very beginning well not to the very beginning Let's we're going to go back to the very beginning no we're going to very... start in 1150 Close with enough. Indian mathematician um, Bhaskara. It was Bhaskara II, but I don't know if that's Bhaskara II. Bhaskara II, I'm uncertain mm. what his name was. But he was okay. an Indian mathematician. And he was the very, or this is the first recorded, I should say, example of someone trying to invent a perpetual motion machine. Right. And it was it was purely theoretical. It was like a drawing. I'm not sure he ever made it, or if he had, it wouldn't have worked. But... The theory was, so essentially it was a wheel that consisted of these curved spokes Mm -hmm. that were partially filled with mercury. So the theory being that with these curved sort of like reservoirs of of mercury, once the wheel's in motion, the mercury would flow down like from kind of one side of the spoke closer to the axle towards the outside of the spoke close, like further away from the axle. And that would, the gravity would pull that down. And as it rotated because of the curvature of these spokes, this is really hard to do without a visual. I'm I'm actually picturing it pretty well, I feel. Okay, good. Yeah. So as it's rotating, the mercury is flowing to the outside on one side, pushing Mm. it down and flowing to the inside on the other side, pulling it, like meaning that there's enough force because, okay, if you think about it, right. Like this, this is essentially the theory was that this unbalances the wheel enough to sustain the rotation mm. continually in in one direction. Yeah, and like there was several. This was Biscara's one with mercury and liquid, but like since then there have been so many other forms of it with like rolling balls or weights on extended arms. So yeah. like the wheel with the extended arm. So when it's out, mm. obviously it's further away. It's going to generate more torque yeah. and 
when it's closer in, it's going to generate less. Because, like, you know, if you've ever if you've ever hit the gym, right, and you're doing a dumbbell, like, front raise, yeah. the further away it is from your body, the heavier mm. it's going to feel. Like, the weight yeah. doesn't actually because change. Because Because levers, exactly. So the theory is that behind all of these, like, unbalanced wheels is that there's, you know, enough change in that torque to, to, to keep it going forever. Right. Um. But they don't work. Because and, and these are another ones, you can see them. Well, you say that, right? It does seem like friction, right? Yeah, but because the thing like is, surely with something like that, it's, you know, the mechanical elements. Like if it's a spinning wheel, there's going to be an axle there and that's mm, going to be mm. slowly rubbing away at it is definitely, what I would assume. Correct. That is That is definitely an issue. But even if you remove friction, these still don't work. Wow. Oh, okay. They still don't work because... What ends up happening is because gravity and wheels, as <laughs> see our episode on boomerangs. Um, I feel like we reference that ro- one a lot, actually. We do. It's a good episode, <laughs> though. But when things rotate, physics goes weird. <laughs> yeah. And essentially, the way gravity acts on, on a wheel is what's going to happen is this moving of weights is going to shift the center of mass below the axle. So in a normal spinning wheel, the center of mass is right in the axle, right in the middle. Makes sense. But when you've got these weights, it shifts the center of mass down. And what that means is that this thing isn't going to spin. It's actually just going to like swing back and forth like a really sad pendulum. Oh, right. True. Correct. And eventually slow down until it settles to where the center of mass is, which is below the wheel. Mm. So... You know, it kind of, and also like with the, you know, with the extendy arm ones, and actually kind of with all of them, mm. if you think about it, right, when you have extended arms, the weights are going to be further away from each other than when mm. they're kind of folded in close to the axle, which means because there's, you know, greater separation between the weights, there ends up being more weight on the side where they're closer in and less weight on the side where they're further out. And so it balances out. Like it doesn't, you know, you get more torque, which is torque is just rotational force Mm. in that like downward motion. So you get more torque from the weights that are further away, Mm -hmm. but there's fewer of them. So it just, it ends up balancing out and the pendulum swings until it stops. And that's the end of your overbalanced wheel. But people, you know, People will try fool you on YouTube with all sorts of, um, you know, but there will always be an external energy force. Like there'll be a motor hidden in there or there'll be a part. Like if you see something that claims to be a wheel that spins forever. Yeah. It's, it's a lie. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I, and I some also, of them, if you do it really well, can spin for a while, but it will. Eventually, stop. not perpetual. Just yeah, not perpetual. Kind of a wild motion machine. Regular motion regular machine. Regular motion machine. <laughs> I, I had a, I had a bit of a thought as well while you were, um, mm while you're explaining that as to another reason why they wouldn't work to do with thermodynamics, right? With the whole, yep. just simply energy can't be created or destroyed, right? It's yes. always just got to transfer from one thing to another. With yeah. these pet- perpetual motion machines where they require a little push to start before they can actually get going, right? It's a closed system that you're putting um, a finite amount of energy into. And then within that yeah. closed system, it's like circulating that energy within itself. Yeah. If you, let's say, for example, you're able to make it work and it was going to spin forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. 
you couldn't use that as a power source. No, Because no, as soon as you, you started couldn't. to extract energy from that, yeah. you're taking that finite energy out of this closed system, which is the same as friction taking energy out of that closed system, right? Yeah, exactly. That, like, it's just like, yeah, cool, you've got a, a nice... A glorified you, battery. Yeah. Essentially, if you could, if you could optimise one of these and make them work it would literally just be a glorified battery where it would just keep itself moving. But yeah, if you wanted to use it to like charge your phone or something, you know, yeah, you're taking energy out like of the Like if system. you want something that's a really efficient source of storing energy, why don't you try See hydrogen? episode on hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. We self, you know, this uh, is how we market our show. If hey, look, we've got a full season of episodes before this one. Why can't we draw from it, you know? That's true. That's true. <laughs> I did all that work for some reason. Actually, I didn't even do the hydrogen episode. That I was Declan. That. Cheers, mate. That was Declan. We'll get you back on the um, show. We will. We will. Um, but yes, exactly. Even if you could get these things working, they because of the f- like the first law of thermodynamics, yeah. they will never be useful. Even but if perpetual motion machines work, for, like, then they wouldn't be a source of energy. Like no, they could never be a source of energy. But then people kind of know that, but they're like, yeah, but it's still how cool is yeah. like the novelty of a machine that just keeps and I can respect going. that. I can respect stuff being cool for the sake of being cool. Mm. Um, so but like, that even that still wouldn't work because of the like, other thermodynamic stuff. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so they still don't work, even if you... Because this is actually how scientists classify perpetual motion machines. You've got perpetual motion machines of the first kind, which are the ones that break the first law of thermodynamics. Mm. Perpetual motion machines of the second time type, which break the second law of thermodynamics. And then you've got perpetual motion machines of the third type, which are ones... Oh, I can't remember the exact definition. Hang on. What is? <laughs> surely it's, you know, if we're following, you know, the chain of no, thought here, not, they break the not. third law of thermodynamics. No, that's why I, that's why I got that's confused. That's so weird. So third kind... Third kinds are the ones that would be possible if hindrances like mechanical friction and electrical resistivity could be eliminated, um, such as, okay, so quick little segue on superconductive metals, right, mm. whose electrical resistance essentially disappears at really, really low temperatures. So, like, yeah. we're talking 20 Kelvin, which is, like, minus 253 degrees Celsius. I've heard of stuff like cold. that. I've seen some really cool, like, um, mm. like designs for, like, really low friction like high speed tube transport things they have them on this magnetic yeah. rail with a really super cool superconductor stuff um but the thing is right it requires energy. those really really low yeah and so the energy requires required energy to maintain to cool those low temperatures <laughs> exceeds the work that results uh, from the superconductive because flow. like that sort of really low temperature that kind of that doesn't exist naturally out in space no. right we have to artificially create that like the lowest naturally occurring temperatures we found I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but what I have read is that... I mean, that in itself is pretty fucking cool that we have created some of the lowest temperatures in the universe that we've observed. That that in itself is cool, but it's not like we could go to, like, the far side of Pluto and make this work because even that temperature isn't low enough for this to work. Again, I haven't fact-checked that. But even, you know, even if we did find somewhere in outer space that was naturally this cold... There's still <laughs> so many, like, I don't know. Like, the fact that we'd actually have to get to that fucking spot in space. We'd have and... to get there. <laughs> and um, rocket fuel isn't free energy. Uh, rockets are not yet perpetual motion machines, unfortunately. Uh... Although, that being said, right, like, because obviously it would take an enormous amount of energy for us to get to that point. But then if we did get this thing successfully working out there, if you ran it for enough amount of time, eventually, if it were a possible perpetual motion machine, it would eventually restock that up. But as we were saying before, it wouldn't work 
Ethan. Well, yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be able to because it would just, you know, whatever you put into it, you couldn't extract any more out of it. Exactly. It's just a glorified fucking battery. battery. <laughs> exactly. Um, See, yeah, hydrogen. So that's, that's perpetual, perpetual motion machines of the third kind. Um, and that's, yeah, like I was saying, that's like how we classify these different motion machines is by what which law in particular they break. And people mm. kind of, you know, started off breaking these conservation of energy ones, sort of graduated to breaking <laughs> I love the how we now ones. define the different types of machines strictly by how they don't work, in what way I know. they don't work. <laughs> That's how broken they are. <laughs> and, like, you know, you could wonder, like, why, like, why even bother thinking about these things and, you know, trying to do that but like the more you cool. think of it like it's a really good way to learn the physics right like it's an interesting even from even if you know that they're not going to work it's really cool to be like right here's a concept that that might work but we know fundamentally that it doesn't mm. now we just need to figure out the physics of how it exactly it it's breaks a cool these way laws to really like kind of you know solidify why these fundamentals are true because like mm. anyone can sit in a classroom and have a physics teacher say these are the thermal laws of dynamic th- the laws of thermal dynamics sorry and like these are the fundamental things of physics and you just have to accept that and you just have this to, is yeah. the way it is but like if we're people of science we don't just sit there and be like oh someone said that's the way it is so that's the way it is like no we want to find out why mm. the fuck that's the way it is so exactly. if we have all so of these theories of, that might theoretically break that and if we have enough experiments to be like oh shit every time we try this it doesn't yeah. work then so great. like That's step one is trying it experimentally yeah. and they don't work and then you're like okay well now we've got to figure out why they don't work and then you 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 gain so much in scientific knowledge and theory and so they're still i think they're still valuable even though they are fun to pull apart so yeah. i've got another one for you yeah. you ready go on so this one's from the 17th century. Okay. It's called Boyle's Flask or Boyle's Self-Filling Flask. And Is that Boyle spelt B-O-Y-L-E? L-E, yes. As cool. in uh, Charles. Boyle. <laughs> Actually, as in Robert Boyle. Uh. And <laughs> different, <laughs> equally, <laughs> equally important in my life. Uh, no. So like Robert Boyle, um, there's a bit of controversy and debate actually as to whether this can be attributed to him or not, but it's definitely very related to the stuff that he worked on. Mm -hmm. And like, you may have heard of, you know, if you've done any chemistry, you may have heard of Boyle's law, which describes the relationship between pressure and the volume of gas. I think that's where I'd heard it before, why I thought of that spelling, me harking back to traumatizing experiences in year 11. He's literally one of the, you know, founding fathers of modern chemistry. Mm. Like he's a big deal. And so this is, this is generally attributed to him, but it's a bit, it's a bit dicey as to whether that's true, but it is also another one of those ones that you can see heaps of them on YouTube claiming that they work. And you know, it's, this is another example where it's like it's still really cool to think about because there is some cool stuff here that is real and does work but it Mm. doesn't work as a perpetual motion machine so it's a flask based on capillary action and so capillary action is what's really cool and what's really real and it's where water moves against gravity and like you can think about it like a paper towel for example if you've got like a little spilled Mm. puddle of water on your bench and you hold a piece of paper towel vertically and you kind of just dip the corner or just dip the edge into it that water is going to creep up the paper towel right against gravity we've all seen it we all kind of know it and it's what kind of makes the blood move through those capillaries in our bodies Uh Mm -hmm. that's where the name comes from um and it's it's yeah where like when it happens in paper towel, it's because the water is traveling into those tiny little gaps between 
the like strands of paper because the water is attracted to the paper towel more than it's attracted to like gravity and to yeah. itself, which is so it also works with glass tubes. Mm. Doesn't work with plastic, which is why it doesn't work with like a plastic straw. But if you get like a really, really thin glass tube, the cohesion, which is that force of attraction between the water and the glass, is what's gonna pull the water. Like, up. It's going to mm. fucking defy gravity, literally. Um, but that's not perpetual motion. That's just the force of that that's attraction just being greater uh, than the force yeah. of gravity, right? That's just, you know. But do you want to know why that works? Because that's just really cool. It's just really fun. Yeah. So, like, glass glass is made of a lot of things, but, but a key component of glass is silicon oxide, right? Mm-hmm. And so in your silicon oxide, what happens, because of something called electronegativity, which I'm not going to go into, but what happens is the little silicon attached to the oxygen molecules, the silicon gets a partial positive charge and the oxygen gets a partial negative charge. And the same thing happens in water where the hydrogen gets a partial, um, sorry, the other way, no, that is correct. I'm confusing myself. <laughs> but yeah, the hydrogen gets a partial positive charge and the oxygen gets a partial negative charge. And which is why water kind of sticks to itself, which yeah. is the... Surface um, tension and all that jazz. Cohesion. Mm-hmm. I think I said cohesion before. Like, adhesion is water to glass. Okay. Cohesion is water to water. That makes sense because adhesion's like sticky stuff, like glue. Yes. And cohesion's like sticking together, stick it to itself, you know? Exactly. Um, I definitely said the wrong thing. But yeah, so... <laughs> That's that's why it happens because of this little these partial charges in water is why water sticks to itself. But then when you get something like glass, it's got an even stronger charge. The silicon's got a stronger charge, and so the water, the oxygen in the water, is going to be more attracted to the glass mm. than it is going to be attracted to like the other hydrogens of the other water molecules. Right. So when you get a really 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 thin tube, the like surface area is going to be like strong enough to yeah defy gravity and there's going to be enough of the water touching the glass and it's just going to keep climbing up, 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 up and climbing up and, you know, moving itself against gravity. Yeah. And so the idea of this glass is, sorry, this uh, machine, this this flask that fills itself is that you have like, well, a flask, like a cup mm. with a tube that extends down the bottom and then out around the side, curves up and curves over. So... Gravity kind of pulls the water down and then capillary action through this really thin glass tube is going to pull the water up, draw the water up against gravity around to the top where it curves over and then refills itself. And it just, the water keeps perpetually moving. Cycling through. And cycling through because of this capillary action, which we know like friction's not an issue here because it's literally, there's actually this really intense adhesion force Mm. That's going to pull the water up, and that's going to be stronger than the friction. So why so doesn't, why doesn't, that doesn't work? this work? Yeah. Mm, mm. Well, because much, much like Elphaba in defying <laughs> gravity, the water will try defying <laughs> gravity, but you can't bring it down, bitch. Um, because oh, literally, right. that's well, it. You yeah, because yeah, the it, force of the fucking adhesion is greater than the force of gravity. So when it exactly. goes around to the other side to be affected by gravity, it's like <laughs> nope. It's like, no, bitch. Exactly. It'll cling to the surface and it'll never leave the tube and it won't tip back out and it won't refill the flask. That's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there are people like, claiming like the that they've got that, these like, like the, self-pouring. The half of the fucking um, explanation of why it doesn't work <laughs> is half the reason it's supposed to work. I know. It's it's really funny, right? Because it's like, and that's a similar one. So there's another another one that's a very similar type of thing where part of the reason it works is the exact reason it doesn't work. And it's it's... A magnetic ramp. Yeah. Um, it's called Wilkins 
because assuming a guy named Wilkins first theorized it in mm. uh, 1617. I'm curious to, to hear where this one goes, because I do have a question about magnets and perpetual motion machines. So explain mm-hmm. it and I'll see if it answers this. Okay. So you've got a ramp. Oh, this is not, why do I do these visual topics on an audio medium? <laughs> I mean, I'm like a, a lot of these scientific things are like shit that exists in the physical world that largely we interact with visually so That's you know true. fair bloody dinkum that like you use challenge. visual explanations so okay picture a ramp with a magnet at the top of the ramp okay and like i guess standing on like a you know a, a block or something so you've got like a vertical block with a big magnet at the top and mm-hmm. a ramp going up to that magnet but in that ramp just before you get to the magnet there's a hole mm-hmm. then there's another ramp that goes underneath it and curves all the way down and takes you back kind of to the bottom. And so what happens is you've got like a little metal ball mm-hmm. that gets pulled up the top ramp by mm-hmm. the magnet until it hits that hole at the top. Yep. And then it falls through the hole, rolls down the bottom ramp, gets to the bottom. And then and gets then, pulled back up again. And then gets pulled back up perpetually with this magnetic force. May I guess why this doesn't work? Go. Is, I, is, I is the reason like the same as the capillary thing? Like once it gets yep. to that hole, the... the strength of the magnet is stronger than the strength of gravity so it wouldn't fall through the hole exactly. it would just skip over the hole and hit the magnet or at least just be held in the hole if the magnet's strong enough to pull the ball up the ramp then by the mm. time it got to the hole at the top it's just going to stick to the magnet yeah because like magnetic force obviously yes you could argue or people try argue that pulling the ball up the incline requires less force than you know stopping it from falling down that vertical kind of drop onto the bottom ramp mm. but the way you have to understand magnets you know the closer you are to the magnet the stronger it is the further mm. away you are the weaker it is so to get the ball going up that kind of little ramp it, it must you know, be already a quite strong magnet from exactly that far so away. by the time it gets to the top it's going to be very strong and mm. they've mathematically like there's ma- if you don't believe me there's maths to back me up I promise. Uh, yes, okay. um and the ball yeah if the magnet's strong enough to pull it up the ramp then it's it's going to stick at the mm. top and it's not going to move and like also if you think about it gravity right gravity's the opposite it's going to be strongest when the ball is at the top yeah. um and that as you get weakest. further away it's going to get weaker and weaker so it's just really not working out in the favor exactly so there's going to be a point in this whole system where the magnitude of the gravity pulling in one direction and the magnitude of the magnet pulling in the other direction are going to be the same mm. and so you know if you understand vectors and you've done a bit of vector science oh it's probably just going to stop know, you've got- right there Right. Sorry. As it, the the forces will cancel each other out, and it'll yeah, probably exactly, just stop halfway up the ramp. Yeah, exactly. Because they've got the same magnitude but yeah. opposite directions. They just cancel out, and the ball's just not going to move at all. The ultimate perpetual so, motion being stationary. Yeah, that's 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 the that's the non-motion machine. I'm <laughs> not a motion those. machine. <laughs> not a, We're not okay financially. I should point. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll we'll link the video that I yeah. keep referencing yeah, over the course of this video. To, uh, the it's college a college humor. humor video of perpetual motion machines. It's simple. It's stupid. It's funny. I like it. Yeah, um, and then it's and it's very relevant to how <laughs> I've been breaking down these perpetual motion machines. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, essentially that's. Mm. That's why it's what, not What is work. interesting, it doesn't answer my question about, about magnets okay. and stuff. All right. uh, now, Fire here's the thing. I know because everything about what we've talked about explains why perpetual motion machines don't work. But I've had like a notion in my head for one that I can't figure out why it wouldn't okay. work. And it kind of This is where I'm going to take a moment one... to point out that I'm not 
a physicist. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. It's hinged so, on like no, a no. basic concept that <laughs> I could be Point out to our about. audience that I'm not oh, a physicist, okay, okay, okay. and so I may not be able to answer this question based on the research um, I did, but I'm going to try my best. It, it's it hinged on this one thing that if, if, depending on how you answer this one question, could completely answer it. Okay. Do, do magnets run out of charge yes. eventually? Okay, there you go. That explains yeah. it. Done. Yeah, there, because I was just imagining, like, imagine if you just had two magnets, right, and like something on an axle sitting between them and the two magnets were causing this thing to just spin, right? Because yeah. well, first of all, friction. Motion. Well, that if the if my understanding of magnets was as it was before where I didn't fully understand them and I thought magnets just lasted forever, then the friction that's created is the energy you would then harness from the perpetual motion machine. Um, but the magnets would end up running out of charge and thus stopping. Wait, what do you thing. mean? How how would you harness the friction? If the magnets are spinning. No, the magnets aren't spinning. So you've got two stationary magnets and then imagine like a metal propeller sitting in between these two magnets and like the two magnets are different charges and it's causing this thing to spin around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Picturing okay, that, that that also yeah, that also wouldn't work because of the way poles work. With magnets, I saw a similar one on, once again, so it's another one that got debunked on YouTube. There's there's a whole rabbit hole to go <laughs> down. Like, if, you, if you're enjoying this, I'm not going to yeah. go through any more examples today. So if you guys want to see more, I'll, I'll link a few other ones. But there's this one where essentially they had a fan and they were using, yeah, magnets to make it, it, it spin around. Mm. And, like, no, they, it required, like, an extra energy source right. in there where they they had an, a fan off the screen to make the thing spin because the way like magnets yeah the way magnets work i mean but also yes magnets are gonna lose their charge very yeah. slowly over time but yeah that's something that i've just never been sure about like it makes sense that magnets well there's, would there's lose temporary magnets and then there's permanent magnets but even like permanent magnets aren't they they just lose their magnetism very 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 slowly as far as i understand but they still do lose it but that's, they still that's do. the crux of the thing they're not just like perpetually magnetic no um because if far, they were that'd be fucking that'd be yeah, right dandy but then then you would have to sit down and figure out why else your idea doesn't work because even if that's not the reason there's there's mm. going to be a reason because the supreme rulers of the universe have decreed yeah. it so um, and now you need to sit down and do a physics proof to <laughs> work it out for me. I expect it on my desk by 5pm tomorrow. Thank Stop you. going to uni for a reason, Kate. <sighs> <laughs> so that I could give you assignments, right? <laughs> no. Uh, so you could do the assignments for me and I listen to them. Yeah, fuck. How did I get myself in this arrangement? <laughs> Doesn't seem profitable to me, but uh. here we are. Anyway, I think, you know... We've we've made the point on perpetual motion machines, and I feel like mm. we should shuffle ourselves along to the listener question. Um, pretty I soon. agree. I think we're but right about that time. I'll link a whole bunch of other stuff in the description if you guys want to go further down that rabbit hole. It's a good time. But the, the moral of the story is it doesn't work, but it's still fun to think about them because mm. you learn a lot. Because thinking is fun and learning know. is fun. Exactly. Because science is fun. <laughs> I said that really sarcastically. Yeah, but like, no, but, but we, we wholeheartedly believe that. Like, like, would I be here doing this with my time? Would you have just completed a master's fun? and soon be going into a PhD if you didn't give a fuck about science? Would I not be studying science but still taking time out of my day to get into science if I didn't care Look. about science? Would you, the listener, I assume you're a listener if you're hearing me say these words right now, <laughs> care not care about science if you had not just sat through however many minutes into this podcast we're in 
to hear, well, not hear us talk about. I've lost my train of thought. Listener question. Speaking of listeners, um, we had one Take listener, this. listener Stacy, wrote in because she cared so much about the science that we talked about that she wanted us to do the research for her and answer a question. Which, like, I said that as, you know, but I totally appreciate. Send me a listener questions, mm. curiosityrat at gmail.com. And oh, I yeah, too we haven't do plugged the our uh, email yet this episode, curiosityrat no. at gmail.com. Shoot me your questions. And so this one was a really interesting question, actually. I really liked it. So why do sunsets sometimes have brilliant colours across the sky and other times are very lacklustre? Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was like, this is interesting. It's true. Like, sunsets can be so variable. And May like, I take even a stab if you're in, in the, the same spot. Yeah, go. Is it because clouds? Clouds can be a component of it, yes, but it's not the only thing that can change the quality of the Because I, I generally find, like, if it's a day with a few clouds in the sky, the sun's the sunset has looks far more picturesque than if it's a clear day. But then again, yeah. I have seen sunsets on a clear day that still look fucking fantastic and some that yeah. don't, so... Okay, so I'll break it down for you. First of all, before I break down what changes sunsets, I need to break down what causes sunsets essentially right so as we know what we see is the sky we see it as blue during the day we see it as orangey progressing to red as as the sun gets deeper on the horizon the sun doesn't actually change i mean the sun doesn't actually or the sun doesn't change color but the sky also doesn't change color it's just what our eyes are picking up from the sun so the sun is we, we think that, you know, light from the sun is white, which means it essentially consists of light waves from the whole visible spectrum. Right. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue. And presumably um, light waves from beyond the visible spectrum as well, because that's what sunburn yeah, is. Exactly. Um, but in terms of what we perceive, yeah. right, the reason it looks, or the reason, you know, you would think that sunlight looks white is because it's a combination of all these visible spectrum colours. But when, you know... Because when you're looking at the sun from space, it appears white. Mm. But on Earth, right, the atmosphere scatters some of the light waves. So that affects what colour we perceive both the sky and the sun as. So the sky looks blue because blue is the shortest wavelength, right? And so when the sun's right up high in the sky, it's when it's kind of closest. It doesn't have to travel through as much atmosphere. Mm. Like, well, the light, sorry, doesn't have to travel through as much atmosphere to get to our eyes. And blue being the shortest wavelength, it gets scattered by particles in the atmosphere. So particles like, you know, you've got water vapor, you've got... um, General air, like... Yeah, well, general air, you've got, you know, nitrogen, oxygen, argon, all sorts of things in the air. You've also got smoke, ash, smog, pollution, clouds, you know... There's even above um, above the sea, there's like microscopic salt crystals like Ooh, hovering over the ocean that lead to some interesting, it. yeah, interesting scattering of light. But essentially, yeah, and like clouds, like all of these things scatter light. But when the sky is, sorry, when the sun is up in the sky above us, it's only the blue ones get scattered and then the rest of it makes it to our eyes, which is why when we look up at the sun, don't look at the sun, kids, um, (laughs) when we look up at the sun, it looks yellow. It doesn't look white. It looks Mm. yellow. It's because the blue has been scattered, hence the blue sky, and then the rest of the wavelengths reach our eye directly from the sun and the sun looks yellow. But as the sun starts to set, it gets... 
it doesn't necessarily get further away from us, but it has to travel through more atmosphere. Because if you think about like the earth as a ball and, mm. you know, you're standing on the top of the ball, as the sun sets down towards the horizon, the angle is going to change and the line is going to get bigger. Right. right? It's going to have it more and more atmosphere further. to go through to get to Yeah, exactly. It has to travel through more atmosphere, which means the blue, the shortest wavelengths, they get scattered first, as usual, but they mm-hmm. get scattered so early that they don't even make it to your eyes anymore. Right. Then the next kind of slightly longer wavelength, so as the sun starts to go down, the sky starts to go kind of yellowy, right? And then mm-hmm. it kind of makes, kind of goes to orange as it gets lower, and then it gets to red because we're getting longer and longer mm. in those wavelengths as to what's actually making it to your eyes. And right. so the sky starts to look like blue, uh, not blue, (laughs) all of them but blue, um, you know, really beautiful colours of red and orange because of the scattering. Mm. So why is it different? Coming coming back to Stacey's actual question, uh, this this is called, should just, you know, if you want the science factoids, that's called Rayleigh scattering, where the, you know, the scattering of light by particles um, in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And, and, like, refracting it. Like, they're acting like prisms, like little prisms. And as, you know, the angle changes, it reflects different different wavelengths of light. It's all very pretty. But why some look different? It's, it's all to do with the makeup of the atmosphere. So if you think about, you know, like you said, clouds, it depends on what type of clouds. So if you have too much cloud or too, because there's lots of different types of clouds, and you have too thick clouds, then it's actually going to block a lot of that light from getting to your eyes at all and the sunset's going to be really dull. But also if you have no clouds, that can also, you know, there's not as much scattering so you don't get as diverse range of colours all existing at once, right? right? Because you don't have that variation in scattering throughout the sky. So you want kind of thin, wispy clouds um, more than like thick, dense clouds. Yeah. But then, like you said, on a clear day sometimes... um, you you cannot. You can have... still get really brilliant sunsets. Yeah, yeah, and that can be because essentially the crisper and drier the air is, so the less sort of humidity and less water vapor, mm. the more pure colors are going to reach our eyes. But then the more you know particles and air pressure, because you know if you think about weather systems, right? Weather systems are just moving low pressure systems, high pressure systems. And that's what wind is, is wind is just air flowing from high pressure systems to low pressure systems. And like the air around us, even without visible clouds is constantly changing. And you know, how much pressure is in the atmosphere at any given time, regardless of visible cloud is, is going to change. So, you know, right after a storm has passed through and there's, you know, less particles in the air, then more light is going to make it through to your eyes rather than being scattered away. And so it all comes down to this balance of how much light makes it to your eyes and how much gets scattered away, but then also the diversity of that scattering, which is why cloud sunsets can be really quite spectacular because they have that change. Um, so it's, and you know, aerosols in the upper level of the atmosphere, they can do scattering. So do you reckon there well, are that's so many the different old, factors. Um, adage, you know, red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky mm. at morning, shepherd's warning comes sailors in. Sailors take warning. Or sailors, because like if there's a red sky in the morning, that means it's probably, like, there's more shit in the air. That means there's probably going to be a storm coming through or something like that. Means it's going to be crap weather. Like, I don't know why you'd rather have shit weather at night than shit weather in the morning, but I mean... Well, 
It's it's just it's it's a visual way of mm. like you know you watch the meteorologists the weather people get up there at the news and they show you those maps of those moving high pressure low pressure systems and that's mm. how you predict weather and so yeah presumably that old little rhyme came from people predicting weather patterns by observing moving systems of high pressure low pressure air but through the colors of the sky because that's you know that's people how- used to use the sun yeah. to tell time like you know all sorts of it's just a really intuitive way that we observe our universe and that's kind of lost its meaning these days because mm. we have fancy systems and barometers to measure stuff. But, yeah, cool, right? Very cool. Yeah, so I hope I hope that's enough of an answer. It's not necessarily a conclusive answer because there are so many factors. Yeah. But it's, it's just what's in the air at any given time and how it acts as, like, a prism to scatter the light differently. And so as the light waves change and different light waves reach your eye or don't reach your eyes, depending on the position of the sun and how it bounces, yeah, the sunsets can appear completely different. Well, I'm hoping then that I get some kind of reward for this muggy-ass day I'm sitting in where it's humid (laughs) as fuck and at least I'll get a pretty sunset out of it. But not if there's too much humidity because then you'll get too much scattering. It's like like the cloud thing. You want to balance, right? You don't want too much of it. Everything in moderation, right? Well, yeah, because that's why you don't see the blue as much in the sunsets is because it scatters away too much before it gets to you. So if there's too much humidity in the air, then it's all going to scatter away too much. Whereas, like, before it even gets to you, but if there's less humidity, then it's actually going to, those colours, those bright, pure colours are going to reach your eyes. So it's, yeah, like, people tend to say that the more kind of particles in the air, the the more spectacular the sunset, but that's that's a bit of a myth in the sense that, yeah, true, as with most like things, it's a balance. Yeah, true, because there's, like, 700 other factors that yeah, come into it, it as well. You don't want too much. You don't want too much. You don't want too little. It's you want be in that just Goldilocks right. zone. Exactly. Um, yeah. For a golden sky, you want a Goldilocks sky. No. <laughs> I don't know. I tried. I failed. Let's move on. Um, that's the end of my answering of that question. So, folks, if you enjoyed that, follow us on social media, please. Um, what are our yeah. social medias? <laughs> what are our social medias? Fantastic That's your department, I'm glad mate. you asked, Matthew. Um, <laughs> no, I'm glad you asked. So you can follow us at CuriosityRat um, on Instagram or Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook. Just search up Curiosity Killed the Rat and you will find our page. We will keep you updated about new episodes coming out, fun things that we're doing, all that jazz. Um, you know, give us a cheeky subscribe on Apple Podcasts, like and us, Spotify, rate us. And Spotify, Spotify as well. Spotify, all of those things. I don't know. Just, you know, <laughs> show us some love, people, because I put a lot of time and effort into this, uh, and it means a lot to me. It means a lot to <laughs> me no. as well. I didn't put as much time and effort into it yet. <laughs> at, at the time of recording, I didn't. Post-recording, that's when I put at in my time. At the time of posting, you will. Yeah. <laughs> that all sounded very sarcastic, but, like, quite, quite seriously, guys, I, you know, chuck us a follow if you do enjoy what we're putting out um that would mean a lot and because if you have a question that you want us to answer in a future episode we mentioned it before but i'll shout it out again we have an email address curiosityrat at gmail.com and i will answer a listener question every episode so throw them at me yeah throw them at kate specifically because I, I don't answer those <laughs> that's <laughs> once again throw them at the email address and that's your and, department yeah yeah i'll get there oh well it's good to be back for season two another year let's hope I don't know where I'm Let's going. Let's hope with this. it's not as bad as 2020. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't say that. You're Famous last words. I've jinxed it. Touch wood. I'm touching wood. No one can tell, but can you hear that? That's me like slapping my desk um, <laughs> just to really emphasize <laughs> that this year is going to be a good one. Yes. All right. All right. Peace out, homies. Catch you in a fortnight. Catch you later. Ooh.
Kill the rat.